Well, who can stop the lion and the lamb? Anyone? No, no one. <laughs> you can answer. Who can stop the lion and the lamb? No one. No one at all. And so I'm thankful for the missions update. Thank you for that time and effort you put in missions team and Rich. Uh, that's one thing when you give towards missions, you know this is a, something that's not going to fail. This is not going to be a waste of money when you give towards taking the name of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth because no one can stop the lion and the lamb. So I encourage you to pray uh, and ask the Lord how to guide you and how you might give uh, to the missions work of FRAC, whether that be to the GCF, which is the broader work of the Christian and Missionary Alliance going into uh, the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, or if you want to give specifically to FRAC missions that goes more towards the faces that we see here, the ones we pray for regularly, both of those will be givings and offerings that are well worth the sacrifice it takes to make them. So consider that and seek the Lord. And the reason we can have such confidence is because they go in the name of Jesus Christ. They go in the name of Jesus Christ. And the name of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. The lion and the lamb cannot be stopped. And we're at a point in Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter 4. Where the disciples finally ask the right question. They finally ask the right question. They're being pushed. They're encountering different things. They're facing different trials, troubles. And they finally get to a point where they say, okay, who is this man? Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? They're finally trying to get down to the most important question anyone will ever ask, which is who is Jesus? Who is he really? What's he about? What's he capable of? And this is the point that Mark labors throughout his book. He wants us to know who Jesus is. And so he strings together two stories here, two events to show the power that is at work in and through Jesus. Jesus has been teaching on the kingdom it may have raised questions, how's this kingdom going to advance? Well, we're about to see how the kingdom's going to advance because we're going to see the king's great power. What's remarkable in these two events is that Jesus calms stormy circumstances in a storm on the sea, but it actually then creates a storm inside his disciples. But then he goes on to a demon-possessed man and calms the demon-possessed man, which then creates a storm of turmoil in the circumstances all around. What doesn't change in both stories is who Jesus is and his power that's on display and how he can save you and work in you. And so with that being said, Mark wants us to note who Jesus is and that's what matters supremely. No matter what's happening on, around us in our circumstances, even no matter what's happening inside of us, who Jesus is, is essential. It's what matters ultimately. It's the right question to be asking when circumstances are in turmoil around you or your soul's in turmoil within. The right question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? What can he do? Where do I need to trust him? Where do I need to be with him? So look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35 
through the end of the chapter first. And we'll see a calm storm, but turmoil within the disciples. On that day when evening had come, and this is the day after he had taught on the kingdom, he said, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling. So they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, trying to get to the other side. Massive storm. But Jesus, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. So after this long day of teaching, Jesus wants to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they set off with him. And it's got this little phrase, they set off with him just as he was. It just means they didn't take any extra measure. They got in the boat and they went. And they set off a normal departure, nothing extraordinary. But notice in verse 36, it does say that other boats were with him. This was a verifiable event. There were other people on the water that night that would have known and seen what was happening. It just lends itself to the trustworthiness of these stories and these parables and what Jesus is teaching through them. There would have been witnesses. And, you know, similar to the story, that par the parable that Jesus had taught, he was teaching this kingdom living. Here's how the kingdom will advance. And the kingdom's like a farmer, right, who sows a seed and sleeps and the seed grows. Jesus is teaching, faithfully teaching, and he's truly a man, fully man, just like us. And he's tired and he gets in a boat and he falls asleep on the boat as they're crossing the sea. So he's kind of modeling for them, sow the seed, teach, sleep, trust the Lord. And it's at this point that a storm whips up across the lake. So if you haven't seen a picture of the Sea of Galilee, um, I should have pulled one up. I, there's, just search for it on Google, you'll see it. But you can see that there are mountains on the eastern slope that are usually very rainy. And about 30 miles northeast is Mount Hermon. It's about 9,200 feet above sea level. And the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level down in the valley. And as Coloradoans, I don't have to tell you what it's like when the cold air from the mountains falls down into the lowlands. Storms sweep up in a hurry. Y'all know this every day in the summer. And so this is what's happening. Storm, the storm is whipping up and this gale force kind of winds are ripping across the sea. And the sea, the fishermen in the Sea of Galilee today still experience these things and they're highly aware of them and they're very scared of them. And so this boat is out there. The men are on this boat. They're usually boats at that time, fishing boats for 25 or so feet long, had room for a couple of rowers on each side. They had a deck on top. And Jesus is down below the deck, probably in the back on a cushion. And he's asleep. The water's pouring over the boat. Waves are crashing in. And Jesus is asleep down underneath. Now, Peter, James, John, Andrew, those four men specifically were fishermen. 
they knew what they were doing on the water. They weren't novices. And they would have known when the time was to panic and when the time was not to panic. And they determined it's time to panic. This is serious. So they, they go to find Jesus. And when they find him, he's just sleeping in the bow, the back of the boat, on a cushion. This is the kind of detail that would come from a first-hand eyewitness. I'm just trying to process all the responses that were probably going on in the boat. Like, you know, we used to have a saying for the people that would stand around and watch you work. Whatever you do, don't help, you know, while you're, while you're doing something. I'm sure some of the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, no matter, whatever you do, buddy, don't help. I, I don't know, how does anyone sleep in a moment like this? I've been pretty tired. I've been known to sleep in strange places, but this is pretty strange. I'm sure uh, some of the disciples will probably judge him a little bit. You mean, I mean, he, he's pushing pretty hard, but sleeping right now? Jesus wasn't that hard. It's just teaching. I, maybe, maybe just one person. Maybe Nathaniel or somebody, softer spoken. Maybe someone looked down and saw Jesus sleeping and maybe, just maybe, like you do when you see a baby sleeping, maybe they sensed peace. Maybe they saw Jesus sleeping and thought, well, he's sleeping. Uh, he's done some pretty amazing things. But, but we don't know all the inter- insides and outs. But what we do know is this. At some point, they panicked. They were terrified. And they woke him up. And then they asked a question that revealed something about their hearts. They said in verse 38, 37, I'm sorry, 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Now the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what they're showing by asking, do you not care is they're actually questioning his love for them. They're assumed that because he was sleeping, he didn't care. The life of Jesus, interestingly, at this moment and in his entire life, was the greatest display of love that they will ever see and that you and I will ever see or know. A life of the Son of God who became man, took on flesh to come and lay his life down for his friends. No greater love is there than this. And yet they're saying, do you not care that we are perishing? Mark, in much of this story, is drawing parallels to the story of Jonah. And just as Jonah was sinfully running from the Lord, guess what the Lord did? The Lord, it says in Jonah, sent, appointed a storm to come upon the boat headed to Tarshish while Jonah was asleep. And here's Jesus asleep, and they're questioning whether or not he cares for them. But I can assure you he cares for them because I can assure you he was part of sending the storm. Jesus can love you and send the storm. He can do both. And he often does, doesn't he? Jesus knew the storm was coming as Job cried out. To his friends, the Lord commands the lightnings where, lightning where to strike. God is in sovereign control. Not a wisp of wind, a drop of rain, a white capping wave occurred in this. 
without the permission of our Lord. So of course Jesus cares. He cares so much that he sends storms into our lives so that we're forced to ask questions, good questions, the right questions, questions that reveal what we truly treasure, questions that reveal to us where our faith truly lies. You remember the hard stuff in life, don't you? The trials that we encounter make the most impact on us. The storms have the greatest stories. God's power is always on full display when we need him the most. When we reflect on all the peaceable times, it's almost like I can't really remember the peaceable times. But I remember when it was awful and God proved himself faithful again and again and again and again. I remember when storms came and God just carried us along. There's a glory in the peace. I'm not against peaceful times. But when we're feeling like we're being held together by a thread and the Lord continually sustains us, we remember, we treasure, we grow, we hold fast to Christ, we ask the right questions. Jesus, I truly believe in you. Will you carry me through this? When will you come, oh Lord? Jesus sends these storms. And so Peter later, who's on this boat, right, tells his writers, don't be surprised that a trial by fire is occurring among you as if something strange were happening to you. It's normal, he says, it's normal. It's not strange in this life to encounter storms. It's a surprise when storms don't happen. But Jesus' storms are always purposeful. They're always accomplishing his plans. They're not random, they're not pointless. Our Lord wastes nothing. He's the creator of the world. He upholds all things by his power. And therefore he can sleep even as he sends the storms. So the kingdom he's been preaching about is a kingdom of great power. And now he's in a boat and he's about to display his great power. So they've asked him, Jesus, do you not care? Do you not care that we are perishing? And of course he cares. And so instead of answering the question, Jesus takes action. It's, a, it's an action that will display his care for them and it'll answer their question. He rises from his sleep and speaks to the storm, actually rebukes the storm with his words, with authoritative correction, peace, be still. The same power in his voice that sent away demons, he now speaks to the weather. And the elements know the voice of their master. The wind stopped, the rain ceased, and the waves quit white capping. An inexplicable peace just came across the whole sea. God alone, in the Old Testament, God alone commands the winds and the waves. And here, God who became man, Jesus, proves his deity, proves his power by showing total control over the weather, his Majesty, his power, his glory is on full display. So go get in that boat in your mind for a moment. Rowing into the wind, we're unable to make headway. The waves are crashing over the side of the boat. Veterans on board are flipping out. We wake up Jesus with a harsh accusation. You don't care. Look what's going on. He speaks. Everything's calm. You look at Jesus. You might look at the disciples. You look at the others in your head, you're asking some pretty serious questions now. 
So then hear the questions that come from Jesus and hear them rightly because you'd be standing there like, oh, he does care and he's got a lot of power. And then he turns and he asks you a question. And, and they're not a sharp, I don't think these are a sharp rebuke. I don't think these are a threat. Jesus loves these disciples to the end and he leads them, leads them with merciful questions. And look at verse 40, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you cowardly? Why are you fearful? Have you still no faith? Do you still fail to believe who I truly am? You've, you've heard my power, you've seen my power, I've taught you many things, but you're not believing enough to rest in my presence. Now I'm gracious towards these disciples. If you've ever been on a boat in a storm, and I have, when lightning is striking and you're on water, water and electricity, they'll play, and thunder's clapping, and rain is pounding, and wind is screaming, and there's a big wave or you know cloud that's ripping across the lake at you. You just have some straight talk with Jesus. You really do, right? You shoot straight and you head for the nearest cove or marina or whatever, but you're casting yourself on the Lord. So I, I've got some grace for these, these disciples, but notice that Jesus draws them out with questions and say, to, to ask them, what is it you're truly believing? What is it that drives your fear? And the questions work because then they say, well, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? There's, this is exceptional. There's no one like this man. Jesus calms all the circumstances around them, but it creates turmoil in, his heart, in their heart. They're filled with great fear, distress, concern consumes them. And so here's my encouragement to you. Settle in your heart and mind who Jesus is. Settle in your heart and mind who Jesus is. If what we believe about Jesus is true, then we have nothing to fear. The disciples' ignorance led them to fear. They didn't realize this was the man through whom all things came into being. They did not realize this was the Son of God who could sleep among the storms because he commands the storms. They didn't know Jesus is actively displaying his great love through his coming to this earth to live and die. He's dis displaying this great love greater than any other. They're in ignorance. But when you know Jesus is the sinless Son of God who came to save you and me, when you know Jesus holds things together, when you know he's all powerful and all wise and does what's best in your best interest, then the fears of this world are replaced with reverence and awe for the Savior who holds you. Once you've settled in your heart and mind, truly, who is Jesus? Who do I believe him to be? Who is this man? Then wrestle with a good question. Why are you still afraid? Why are you still afraid? If fears are constantly mounting all around you, ask yourself the question that Jesus asked the disciples. Why am I still afraid? What's true about Jesus that can calm my heart? Christ is greater and better and more powerful than anything I fear. Whatever fears I have, whatever bothers me, I'm in the boat with Jesus. And the worst storms of my life are storms that he can sleep through. He's greater than my fears. I'm with Jesus 
And when we do this, why am I still afraid? I'm with Jesus. What it does is it makes us say, then Jesus, who are you? And how will you deliver me? What are the promises that you have for me that will sustain me in the midst of my fears? Because even when external circumstances have calmed, which is usually what causes the most chaos in our lives, even when external circumstances have calmed, sometimes we still have turmoil within. And Jesus is pressing us to come to him, remember who he is, and embrace him in faith and his promises that will relieve our fears. And what might happen when we do this? Well, Jesus continued to cross the sea to the other side, and he's going to continue to confirm his power again to the disciples through a very miraculous work, freeing a demonic man who was possessed and oppressed. So on the lake, we had these calm circumstances, but then turmoil within. Now we're going to see a calmed man, but turmoil without. Look at Mark 5, 1 through 20. And as the old saying goes, we have a long way to go and a short time to get there. So um, we're going to be pushing here, okay? Maybe you don't know that song. That's okay. <laughs> they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountaintops, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. When you read this account in another gospel, the Gospel of Mark, you see there's actually two men that come to Jesus, but Mark and Luke decide to focus on, on the one that Jesus does this miraculous work in. And these men are good examples of the depth of demonic destruction. We often say that we are totally depraved. In our sinful state, apart from Christ, we are depraved. We're unable to please God, 
incapable of what doing of doing what pleases the Lord. But in God's kindness, we really are not all as bad as we could be. God is merciful to keep us from doing our worst apart from Jesus. But here we see what Satan would like for us all. This poor man is in a bad way. He's isolated. He's uncontrollable by himself and others. He's hopeless, committed to a sad life. He terrorizes all around him. He screams out with a loud voice among the mountains. Imagine the rumors that floated around about this guy, right? Hey, mom, I'm going out to play with Simon. Hey, stay away from the mountain. Stay away from the crazy. Stay away from the guy, the devil man out there. He cut himself relentlessly. This must have been a terrible, frightening sight. And it's all because of the evil, demonic power at work within him. He was under the power of Satan and his demons. And we don't often talk about the reality of evil spiritual forces often. Uh, maybe we think we won't be taken seriously if we do. Perhaps because we're a scientific society and we can't verify it, we choose not to believe it. But if you've ever had an encounter with the demonic, it's verifiable. There have been and will be verifiable encounters. And I think oftentimes in our culture, we treat it as a joke. People are careless in their dealings with dark, evil spirits. Ouija boards are often played around with thoughtlessly, not sure of what they're dabbling in. I saw a shirt in college one time that said, had a sloppy Joe on it. And it said, sloppy Joe says Satan sucks. Kids don't say that. I, I was like, what? Who's sloppy Joe? Right? What power does he have here? And really, do you really want to go toe-to-toe with Satan? Is this a good idea? There was a song that went around. If the devil was a man, I'd kick his tail. If the devil was a man, I'd run. I would get as far from him as I could. It's folly to think that, this is, that Satan is careless or weak. And perhaps Satan has changed his tactics in many places. In our modern world, it's probably more effective for him to just think, uh, to let us think there's no presence of evil or demonic. Michael Horton in his Christless book, Christianity book, he describes a scene like Mayberry, where everybody's kind, moral, walking and talking and friendly and houses aren't broken into, nothing's being stolen and yet Satan's happy because Jesus is not being named. So this poor man approaches Jesus We're called to be delivered from the evil one. Jesus tells us to pray this. And this this poor man who's under demonic pressure that is real and active and we should not be toyed around with comes and says, what have you to do with me, son of the most high God? Now, remarkably, just a second ago, the disciples were saying, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? And here's a demonic man who knows son of the most high God. He actually has a better grasp on the identity of Jesus. Son of the Most High God was a Jewish expression, the transcendence of Israel's God over every pagan god and goddess. There is no God like him. And Jesus is in confirmed control of the situation. And so he starts to talk to this man. He had said to depart, they were resisting. He says, what's your name? Legion. So we're seeing that this is a mass amount of Satan's demons here. 
And yet, notice how they respond in the presence of Jesus. When they come in the man, they bow down before him. They prostrated themselves before him as if Jesus is the one before whom all should worship. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. And they didn't know what Jesus was going to do. So take comfort that Satan's plans, that Satan doesn't know Jesus' plans. Jesus will affect them in his time. Satan doesn't know. And they ask permission, even beg Jesus for an alternative that Jesus grants them. Jesus is showing the stronger man is here. And Jesus in great strength calms this man by removing demons, but then turmoil abounds. So crazy circumstances among you and all around you are no sign that Jesus is not within you. He can calm you inside and turmoil can abound all around. That's no indicator of the presence of Jesus or absence of Jesus. Because the first thing that happens when he casts the demons out, they go into the pigs and 2,000 pigs, a lot of bacon, runs and dies. Yeah, it's expensive. So people have blamed Jesus for this. I think it's a display of Satan's destructive intent. He will take down anyone, anytime, any way he can, even if it's their occupation, to try to bring shame on the name of Jesus. So they then run to town. The herdsmen run to town. Tell them, because I'm sure they won't want to be blamed for this. The townspeople come out to see what happened. And they're shocked, because they see this man who was a demonic, now sitting calmly, just in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. But they hear about the pigs and they conclude, Jesus, it's time for you to leave. Get out of here. Just leave our town. We don't want you here. Maybe it's easier for them to have demon-possessed men than it is to answer to Jesus. We don't know exactly. But they say, Jesus, get out of town. It's the wrong response to Jesus. And then the third turmoil which I think is the one that will send your head spinning more, is that Jesus honors their bad request, but he declines a good request. It's odd that he responds favorably to the townspeople. He says, okay, I'll leave. But yet the demonic wants to go with him, and Jesus says no. Jesus honors the request of those who are rejecting him, and he refuses the request of the demoniac. So, we have to trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing here. Sometimes the circumstances around us were like, Jesus, I would not have done it that way. But Jesus calms the soul of the demoniac and then turmoil abounds all around and it's exactly as Jesus would have it. Jesus calms a storm, leaves his disciples in turmoil. He calms the demoniac, but then the circumstances around them are in turmoil. But all of them reveal something. They reveal the identity of Jesus Christ. They reveal that he's the one who has power over the wind and the waves. They reveal that he's the God most high. They reveal that he's the God over all demonic, satanic power and oppression. And though they banish Jesus, they can't get rid of his testimony. And the boniac stays. And he's actually the first missionary sent out in Mark. And he's a Gentile to the Gentiles. 
And later in Mark, we're going to see that people come from the Decapolis where the demoniac is sent to seek out Jesus' healing power. So I think he was a faithful witness. But circumstances change. Turmoil abounds. Sometimes we have peace within. Sometimes we have peace without. Jesus never changes. It's the same Jesus with the same power over the wind and the waves and over the demons here who is with us today. So why are we so afraid? What fears do we have? Bring them to Jesus. Seek that he will relieve those fears. By faith, enter into the presence of Jesus. Let him bring peace to your soul. And whether he brings peace to your circumstances is no matter, Jesus is the same. If they're all in turmoil around you, who is this man? He's your savior. He's with you to relieve you of your great fear and to bring you safely into his presence, free, free from the evil one's power. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you never change. Thank you that you are faithful and true. And thank you that, Lord, you act. You act on behalf of your servants, that we can find hope in you and salvation in you from, from fear, from the demonic, from our sin, from turmoil all about, around us, Lord. We can find peace in your presence. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'll draw near to us now and stir us up in love to worship you in spirit and truth. We ask it in your name. Amen.